Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. I am obsessed with slumberkins. They're these collections of stuffed animals and loveys that come with books. And they're so much more than that. Slumberkins were developed by a therapist and an educator using research-based techniques to help teach children how to understand and support their feelings. So these are almost emotional intelligence teaching animals. My kids are just obsessed. I mean, they fight over all of these things so much. And each one comes with a book. And in the book, you do things like recite your feelings and uh, learn about different emotions. There's the caring crew of animals, the confidence crew. There's the resilience crew. It's really amazing. They have great gifts for newborn parents. And they're giving my listeners and followers Zibby 10, 10% off your first purchase. The code is Zibby 10. So go to slumberkins.com check it out. Your kids will love them. And you will love the fact that they help the kids fall asleep better. They create an activity that you can do with your kids, reading, reciting. They even have like digital books that you can do as activities with your kids. I am just such a huge fan of this brand and what it does for families and how it will help kids and also the fun that it brings into the household. So go to Slumberkins, code Zibby10 will get you 10% off your first purchase. Enjoy! Lynn Berger is the author of Second Thoughts on Having and Being a Second Child. 
Lynn is a staff writer at Dutch journalism platform De Correspondant, which is probably not how I pronounce that properly, but whatever, where she covers keywords and everyday culture. She holds a PhD in communications from Columbia University and lives in Amsterdam, the Netherlands. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your book, Second Thoughts on Having and Being a Second Child. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And I think this is my first podcast with someone in the Netherlands, I have to say. Well, I'm glad to be a first on something. (laughs) (laughs) Although my future mother-in-law, who just is engaged to my husband's dad, she is also from the Netherlands. So I I get your accent around us very often. Ah, Good. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case you're wondering. Anyway, okay. Second thoughts on having and being a second child. Tell listeners what made you decide to do this. And I know you write about it in the book and how your sort of quest for knowledge and research and debunking some myths about second children and got you on your way. But tell us the full story. Okay. Yeah. So, so second thoughts is a work of nonfiction about what it means to have a child for the second time uh, and also what it means to be a second child. And the reason I wrote it or how it came about is that so I'm a journalist. I've also been in academia for a long time. So I'm a writer. That's what I do. But I think first and foremost, I'm a reader. So, I mean, I love reading. I always have. And I often find it helpful you know, to go to the literature to help me make sense of whatever it is that's going on in my life. So when I became a mother for the first time, I read everything I could find about the transition to parenthood, about taking care of babies, fiction, nonfiction, self-help, literature, you name it. And I found it really helpful just to to use that to think through this transformative experience. So then fast forward a couple of years, I'm pregnant again. And I had all these new questions like, well, if that first experience of becoming a parent was transformative, then what does it mean to have that experience again? But also what will it mean for our daughter to become a big sister, for our future son to, you know, to be a second child? So I figured, well, I'll just go and <laughs> read up on it. And then, you know, I couldn't find anything. I found a couple of really practical and helpful parenting manuals on, you know, preventing sibling rivalry, but they were very hands-on. And I could find stacks and stacks of academic papers by sociologists, economists, psychologists about, I don't know, about the influence that siblings have on each other, about family formation, about the history of of family life. But what I couldn't find was a book that would sort of synthesize all of that in a way that was accessible and open and curious, but also just, you know, personal and nice to read. And I really wanted to read a book like that. And so then I thought, well, if I want something like that, surely there must be other parents who are expecting a second child who would like to read something like that as well. And so, yeah, I ended up writing it myself. <laughs> sort of an accidental an accidental book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well use all the research. And I have to say you accomplished that in such exactly what you set out to do, because I love how you interwove all your own stories and how most chapters begin with some anecdote from your own life or your child or the development. I feel like I was with you on your journey from, you know, finding out when you got pregnant to (laughs) dealing with your son and worrying perhaps about the different developmental timelines, which every parent of multiple kids has worried about. I am going to just say that maybe I'm wrong, but I'm going to make that assumption anyway. So I love how you, so it's not just prescriptive, it's a narrative. So it made it really fun. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And I am out of the, I actually never really had a second child because I had twins to start with, Oh wow! but I loved how you talked about the assumption that everybody thinks you're having, not everybody, but many people feel they're having the second child to benefit the first child. Yeah. And yet 
it can also be the worst thing ever for the first child. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You had some quote, you said the assumption, for instance, that a child is better off without a brother or sister than without, but also that with the arrival of the second, we were not just giving our first child something, we were taking something away as well. And there was the assumption that our second, who would never experience the exclusivity of which we were about to deprive the first, would start out with a one to zero disadvantage. Second place, consolation prize, runner up. <laughs> Aww, yeah, I felt really bad for a second child before he was even born. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a strange thing, right? When you ask people why they decided to become parents, the the answers are so varied. It's, it goes from, well, I was just really curious or I, I always saw myself as a parent or I just really wanted to know what it was like or it's just nature. But then when you ask people, why did they have a second child? It's almost always the answer is so that the first one would have a sibling. And it suddenly, so I mean, it was the same for us. But then when I was pregnant with the second child, I was like, but wait a minute. Why do we believe it's good for kids to have siblings? And what about all these horror stories about, you know, sibling rivalry and competition? And when did we come to think that this is so important? And you even had a study that I'd love you to describe a little more that showed how your sibling relationship was like as a child affects the parenting and how you make your children get along later. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, that was a wonderful study. It's by Laurie Kramer, who is a developmental psychologist in the U.S., And she interviewed mothers of two children, and they themselves had also been part of a two-child family. And she asked the mothers sort of to reflect on their own sibling relationship. And so some of them said, well, it was all warm and lovely and fine. And some of the mothers had sort of, you know, more difficult memories. They they had fought a lot or there had been a lot of rivalry. And so then she looked at the the children of those mothers and how they were were around each other. And she noticed that If the mother had had a good sibling relationship herself, then her children, their relationship was often less warm, less intimate and had more arguments in it than the relationship of siblings whose mothers had bad memories of their own sibling experience. And so she realized that if your own sibling experience has been in whatever which way is fraught, then you as a mother will try really hard to make the relationship between your your children a good one. So you will help them to work through conflict and so on, rather than assuming that it's all going to be fine because it was fine for you. And I found it really amazing that sort of you know, it was one of those moments where it clicked like, oh, yeah, you're not just parenting. You know, th- parenting doesn't start when you have a child. Like it already started when you were a child. Wow. So I was doomed to be the parent that I am today. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe so. <laughs> well, what what was the upshot of your research? Did you find anything that really shocked you about whether what the benefits were of having second children? So I, I would say that, you know, the findings in the science are pretty nuanced as, um, you know, social science findings of, often are. So it turns out that, yeah, having a sibling can be really beneficial in a lot of ways. It can be, you know, siblings can influence each other's mental development, cognitive development, moral development. Having a sibling also provides a training ground for having arguments and working them out without, you know, just losing the other person right away. And also having a warm sibling relationship can be like a... It's, it's like a buffer in in times of stress. So for instance, when parents get a divorce, if the sibling relationship is fairly strong, then the kids often end up doing better than when the sibling relationship is not as, as good. On the other hand, when sibling relationships are not warm and intimate, they can also have, you know, sort of go together with rather 
bad effects for the, the kids in, in question. And you know, can have more mental problems, more behavioral problems. So it's, it's like, you know, it could, it could go either way. And also sibling relationships can be really good training grounds for delinquent behaviors, <laughs> which, you know, I mean, it's, it makes sense. To, a bigger sibling can be an example for the good, but also for the bad. But then there were also a couple of things that really surprised me. And they had to do, for instance, with birth order. Because mm-hmm. I had always assumed that since in you know I have I have a younger sister that since I was the oldest that sort of explained the fact that I was quite conscientious a little bit neurotic I always worked really hard in school whereas my sister was more the social outgoing rebel and I was sure like this is because of our birth order and I also thought it was sort of advantageous for me to be the firstborn because you know it's just better to be the the striving type A personality and I'm sure people disagree with that and I. You know, looking back, I think it's a bit of a strange assessment, but that's what I thought. But so then we were about to have a second child. And then I was like, but is that true? Does birth order really determine personality? And so I started reading up on the history. It's quite old, this idea. And on sort of the most recent findings. And they basically say there is no evidence that birth order shapes personality, even though so many of us believe that it does. But what it does determine for a lot of people is... or. But but it does have an effect on other things than personality, including height and the likelihood of allergies, but also things like IQ and test scores in school. So there is so where you're placed in the family line does have an effect on you, just not on personality, but on other things. Hey, everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
I'm a first child too. And I, I share your personality type and, and I shared your assumptions for a long time. I find usually a, an immediate sort of common bond shorthand with other first children. You just kind of get that mentality. And, you know, I've actually come to believe, I think third children really, really have won the jackpot. (laughs) I think third children are so well-adjusted relative to the other two because, and like you point out in your book, your parenting for each subsequent child is what dictates so much of the development. Yeah, It's not the fact that their first children are less prone to allergies. It's the fact that you're so much more laid back about what you let the second children even do. So I don't know. I still, I mean, anecdotally, it seems like birth order does play a role, but yeah, it does. And I, I feel the same and everyone is like, but surely it must be true. But I think this is also, it, I, I read this one scientist who said, who compared it to horoscopes where once you believe that with a certain astrological sign comes certain behaviors, that's what you recognize in other people. And you sort of filter out everything that's contrary to your assumptions. Hmm. But what, what also plays a role is that, you know, firstborns are often assigned different roles than secondborns. So they might be asked, you know, can you look after your brother or could you, could you please help me? At least you're, you know, you're the oldest one. And so they might behave differently. But that behavior is not necessarily an expression of their personality, right? It's an expression of the role they've been given. So, yeah, and, and it's hard to, to, to disentangle behavior from personality. Hmm. But yeah, it's, I, I, I still find it so, so fascinating. Well, what is your astrological sign and how, how closely does it sort of jive with who you are? So this is where uh, the fact that I'm not a native English speaker comes in because I don't know the English word for my astrological when is your, sign. When is your birthday? <laughs> yeah. It's April 26th. It's the end of April. Oh, it's almost, it's coming up. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, Thank exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that make me? It's uh, Taurus. Taurus. And what is, what are the typical? Yeah, they're meant to be stubborn. And oh. I do recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Maybe I should start asking every guest what their astrological sign is. I could do my own study, actually. I could see if it's really true. I don't know. Anyway, my sample audience here. <laughs> awesome. So how are your kids getting along now? Well, they're, they're, I mean, I think they're getting along fine for siblings. You know, I mean, the relationship is pretty warm. My daughter is now seven and a half. My son is four and a half. They fight, but I think it's perfectly within reason and definitely a lot less than I used to fight with my sister. And, and I can, yeah, and the things I can really see sort of that I also read about in the research is that the oldest one is really training the youngest one. Like he's always looking up to his big sister and sort of copying her and trying to do the things she does. And the other way around, she doesn't, obviously doesn't do that with him. So she's the teacher, he's the student. I have that exact same thing with my little guys. I have a seven, almost eight, well, seven and a half year old and a six year old. And this morning he woke up and immediately like went to the bathroom right next to us, like in the bathroom, obviously, but he didn't close the door all the way. And so before they even said hello to each other, my seven and a half year old daughter was like, ah, you didn't shut the door. And then kind of like pushed the door and was like, so, and I went over to her and I was like, how would you like it? If like you woke up and the person who you looked up to most in the world was rude to you before you could even go to the bathroom <laughs> and say good morning, like what kind of day does that set you up to have? Like, would you like that if you walk, walked over to me and I immediately was rude to you? Like, no, you would probably then turn around and be rude to someone else and the whole world would be like a worse place, you know? <laughs> but just because it's him, like that doesn't mean you can do that. So anyway, I think she was finally like, okay, okay. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> but it's true the relationship is so 
uneven, especially when they're young. It's it's just there's always this age gap that also means a gap in power, in knowledge, in you know manipulative skills. It's really dramatic. Yeah, I mean, imagine that you were always like it would be like you know always being in class with someone who's like two or three grades ahead of you, like in everything you do, you'd always feel like you were behind. I was like young for my grade and I felt behind just by a couple months, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a couple oh. years you must, anyway, well, oh, well, so, so much for second children. We're, we don't have to worry about them, I guess. <laughs> they'll be fine. In the end, they'll, they'll be fine. Be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, tell me, you mentioned at the beginning that you love to read and that you've always loved to read. What are, what kind of things do you love to read and like what genre and what authors even, or what's, when do you like to read? Oh, it's all over the place. So I'm really into sort of the, you know, literary essay essayists. I, I actually, I quote some of them in the book. So for instance, Rachel Cusk, who wrote this beautiful book about becoming a mother, uh, Zadie Smith, Leslie Jameson, all the sort of US and UK female essayists who rock. But then I also just love novels. You know, I'm happy with a 19th century novel. I'm happy with a with one that just came out. And, then, and I usually read at night, so before sleep. But I also read during the day, but that's for work because I'm a journalist, right? So I will read, you know, academic papers about family formation and stuff like that. But yeah. And tell me more about your journalist, journalist work. Uh, yeah, so I write for The Correspondent, which is an online journalism platform based in Amsterdam. And I cover care, but not health or not just healthcare, but care in general. So also informal care, like the care that parents give to children or that one might give to friends. And sort of the, my my working thesis is that, you know, without care, society wouldn't exist. Like we can't live without people taking care of us and us taking care of other people. So it's incredibly fundamental and at the same time incredibly un, unappreciated. Right. So we'll. You know, professional caretakers often don't make a lot of money. Parents have to squeeze care in between, you know, work, basically. So I'm trying to figure out how, you know, so what what is it about care that makes it so important and yet so invisible? And what would we need in order to take proper care? I love that. Is that your next book? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Yeah, stay tuned. Okay, stay tuned. That sounds great. And such an important message. I mean, I feel like if anything, this past year has highlighted the need for that, especially when so many supports were ripped out from underneath so many people. Yeah, yeah, it does feel timely, which uh, which for a journalist is always nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Well, what was really helpful for me in writing this book, which was my first book, was telling myself that I was writing a book and not the book. <laughs> so I, it didn't have to include everything I had ever thought of. And that made it really easy to sort of make choices about what should and shouldn't go in. And as for the sort of practical everyday writing. So I had been doing research and making notes from the, you know, from the moment I was pregnant with my second child, basically. But then at some point I took some time off to really sit down and write it. And I would just, every week I would just type up you know, random disjointed paragraphs. And then at the end of the week, I would send them to my editor who didn't read them and also didn't reply to them, but who still, because of this arrangement, made me feel like I was being held accountable. And so it was a really good motivation to just write something down every week. And then after, you know, a couple of months, I went back into my mail, found all those dispatches, printed them off and arranged them. And what emerged was like not a book, but something that could become a book. And that felt like it had written itself sort of in bits and pieces rather than through sort of concentrated hours and hours of writing. 
And I mean, yeah, it really depends on what kind of writer you are. But for me, that was really helpful. That's great. How did your, this is such a random question. How did your family end up in Amsterdam? Like, how did you end up there? Oh, I was, well, I was born here, basically. And I studied in Maastricht, which is in the south of the country. And then I went to New York for a PhD and then met my partner while, you know, while I was back in Amsterdam on summer break. Then he moved to New York with me. We had a blast and then figured that if we wanted to have children, we may prefer to have them close to our family. So we moved back. Yeah, I've been back here ever since. Wow. Amazing. I don't know. I'm always so interested in how people end up all over the world. And anyway, random, <laughs> as, I, as I said. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. This has been really interesting. And your book was really interesting. And thanks for, literally, I feel like you did a service for everyone else by, you could have easily left all that information, <laughs> you know, on your desk and, you know, tucked away. And instead you decided to share it. So that's great. And now so many people can benefit anybody who's thinking of having a second child. But I also just found this to be a very interesting sort of birth order. You know, I'm not about to have a child, but I found this super fascinating. So this really applies to lots and lots of people. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, take care. Maybe I'll see you in Amsterdam sometime. (laughs) That would be lovely. Okay. Lovely day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Slumberkins, for sponsoring today's episode. Again, use code ZIBBY10 to get 10% off your first purchase. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.